Choosing the right partners to do business with is critical. Like anything in business, partnerships have the potential for great things, and of course, less than great things as well. The wrong partnership can drive churn and reputational risks, whereas the right alignment can amplify your brand's strengths. Working with another brand that echoes your purpose and values can expand your brand's sphere of influence and propel it into untapped markets. So as a marketer, how much time and effort are you investing in strategic partnerships? Storytelling is connecting a speaker and a listener. Most brands, I believe, are built for the inside build a full customer experience. People want authenticity. This episode of The CMO Show is brought to you by Filtered Media, Australia's most respected brand storytelling agency. Telling your story brilliantly. Hello, friends. Mark Jones here. It is great to have you with us again on The CMO Show as we continue to share stories about purpose-driven brands. Speaking of which, my guest today is Lisa Resk. She is Director, Brand Marketing Communications at the Benevolent Society, Australia's very first charity. She's also one of our awesome clients here at Filtered Media, so it's a real joy to be able to talk to one of the people that we, of course, spend a lot of time with and share her story with you. Lisa and I discuss building trusted stakeholder relationships, the role of trust and empathy in brand communications, and how marketers can communicate a brand's purpose through storytelling, of course, all my favorite subjects. So let's go to my conversation with Lisa. Lisa Resk, great to have you with us. Thank you, Mark. Good to be here. I've got to say, I've been looking forward to our chat for quite a while. We do work together. Uh, it's just been a real privilege to work with you guys. We've had the opportunity to interview and speak with many people throughout the Benevolent Society and actually had to fight back tears. Aww. Isn't that, isn't that something? <laughs> that is. Yeah. Uh, Shows you the passion within the organisation. Yeah. And, and for those of you who don't know the Benevolent Society, what is the Benevolent Society? The organisation started back in 1813. So I would think we were one of the first charities. So the Benevolent Society was started by uh, two gentlemen who wanted to support women, homeless women, single mothers with their children as well as destitute males in society. So it's very advocate and advocacy driven in wanting to support this side of Sydney predominantly. So that was 208 years ago. We still do the same. Society has changed. Unfortunately, it hasn't in some areas. Mm. So the work that Benevolent Society does in its current state, we are still working with child and families that mm -hmm. need our support. We're working with people with disabilities and we're also working with our ageing population. So our whole sort of vision is to support people, not give them a hand up, but support people and walk with them on their journey to live their best life and whatever that is in their terms. Yeah, and I think one of the things that was moving for me was just how committed frontline mm -hmm. workers are mm. to that journey. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it's just an astounding thing. And so it's great to hear actually that history and how it's continued to evolve. And we'll, we'll get to that more in just a mm -hmm. moment, but I want to take you back to some of the fun parts of your career uh, to get to know you a little bit more. ABC. So marketing communications manager, head of corporate marketing, you've had some really interesting roles and then ultimately becoming the GM for marketing communications and ABC commercial. Yes. And according to LinkedIn, 13 years. I was, yes. So three really fantastic positions and watching the ABC grow and digitise itself 
in that time was fantastic. Mm. We had a great uh, MD and he saw a, a really, you know, opportunistic vision for the national broadcaster to move itself into the digital era. So that's Mark Scott, just to, Correct. to jump in yes, there. Yeah, that's Mark. He, he was a, a great listener. He loved the news. You'd want to come in and tell him something that you'd seen or read that morning. He'd already seen it. He, <laughs> he was a bit of a news junkie. Yeah. So, uh, and stakeholder management actually... I know we're going to touch on that yeah, later. It's something yeah. that I probably learned very well from Mark. What was the, the interest in joining the ABC initially for you? What was the appeal? Well, I was joining a new department, which was corporate marketing, which sounds um, quite odd for the ABC. This new department was set up so we could look at our audiences from a community base, so a lot of community events, and we had a digital exhibition trailer that we travelled around Australia. So we would meet communities on the ground. Mm in, you know, regional areas and all of that, which was fantastic because that's where, you know, a majority of the audiences that really hang on to the ABC that it is today still are very loyal and are very much there. Mm. Within the urban space, there is a lot more fragmentation, I would think, within the media space. So there's a lot more choice. So I think for what we were doing at the time and we were working quite closely with Triple J as well and they were doing their Australian way of life and would go off to the regional centre and do a massive concert there for the people of the region. So I think that still holds quite strong and it's still a focus for ABC. That role certainly looked after the community base but then the other, which was to the other spectrum, was looking after our government stakeholders. Obviously it's federally funded Mm. so we had to... And so as, as we do, as we, they did with Senate estimates, but it was more around how do we engage our stakeholders on both sides of the parties or three different sides, including a few others. Every year I would put on an event at Parliament House in Canberra and we would get over 275 senators, ministers, mm. whips all come and listen and we would showcase pretty much what ABC had done for the year. And I'm, I'm not sure if they still do that now, but it was a fantastic time for us to really show what we were doing in the regions for news broadcasts, particularly emergency broadcasting, because that's quite a big thing for the ABC, and, and just the innovation, you know, the introduction of iView, uh, ABC3, yeah. you know, all of that fun stuff. So in other words... A huge playground. <laughs> huge playground. Huge playground of content, but also having that conversation with Australians, yeah. you know, which they continue to do. And your role in marketing communications, you mentioned stakeholders, and it would be mm-hmm. interesting to talk about that because you've got, uh, and just hearing the types of stakeholders you've mm-hmm. already mentioned, the community, so in other words, people who love mm-hmm. the organisation, the senators, and uh, I guess within that, some of them are for and some of them are against in terms yep. of how much funding the ABC should get and probably all sorts of other arguments. And how much say, yep, right. absolutely. Correct. Then you've got the detractors, particularly in the media. There's this long-running mm-hmm. saga, as we all know, yep. you know, about whether or not the ABC is living up to its charter or the charter should be scrapped and all that stuff, right? So many and varied stakeholders, mm-hmm. very complex, highly emotional. What was your, I guess, initial reaction to when you sort of finally understood the the landscape at a, at a deeper level. How, what was your approach to sort of mapping that and getting your head around it? I think for me within any role that I'm within, I always look at the various stakeholders and what the mutual beneficiaries are. You know, it's always a partnership. Rather than stakeholder management, I call them partnerships. So I, I would – there is obviously a place for everyone and everyone has a say depending on where you're at, but it's – how do you benefit each other and how do you partner with each other? So for me, it is a bit of a mind map as to working out 
where their position is, what their goal is and what it, what are ours and trying to meet them. If they're the right partner, that's great. You keep moving. Like with mm. ABC, I signed on uh, TEDx Sydney yep. for their inaugural broadcast and we did that with them for about four or five years, mainly because I knew Remo, I knew the content. It was fantastic. It was perfect for the ABC audience. So that was a great partnership. Also, in doing that, having to manage the stakeholders within ABC. So, you know, why is this good for ABC when some people don't think it is? Mm. I thought it was for the time that it was there and it certainly showed it. It increased the reach of our audience at the time to new audiences as well as, uh, you know, keeping those that are into that conversational space, you know, very strong with us. In that professional capacity, you've got to you describe understanding people and looking for benefit mm-hmm. and it's a negotiation approach really Absolutely, isn't it right yeah, so it's yeah. sort of seeing it in that context yeah. but a little how, bit of influence yeah but how do you <laughs> how, do, how do you deal with the emotional side of it too because it's it's i imagine unrelenting i haven't really attributed too much emotion to it mm. for me it's about core business yeah right especially when it is about business and partnerships but you know i think from my back in the music days of sales mm. and marketing yeah, what is it that you need to reach? What is it that they need to reach? So I don't really take too much emotion into that. <laughs> I'm not cold. It's just, it's a business deal. Yeah, right? yet, but that's the answer. So, you yeah. know, because for some people it's highly emotive. Sure. But to be able to just leave that aside and mm-hmm. get on with what needs to be done, I think yeah. is the only way forward. Yeah. Then to jump from that to Mark Scott again, what did yep. you learn about stakeholder management from him? Learn to listen, you know, really carefully because sometimes I think you can go into a meeting or a deal without really thinking through what your needs are, let alone what their needs are. So I think you really need to listen to the stakeholder and understand their needs. It's like listening to a client or an audience member or a customer, whatever it is, you need to listen. Mm. And, you know, today we're all client-centric, so absolutely. So for me that's come full circle and I really love the fact that that's the way majority of businesses are looking at it, particularly in their marketing. Mm. You have to be client-centric. And clients could be your customer that's paying you. It could be your government stakeholder. Your client could be your community-based partnership. So whatever term you choose, everyone is at a different level. You need to understand and listen to them as to how you can help them. What's the biggest challenge we face in being client-centric though? Because I think we we cut this up in lots of different ways from being, you know, uh, creating great customer experiences Mm -hmm. to, you know, thinking of customers as sort of subscribers who are just locked in now and we'll take it for granted a little bit, but there's a spectrum of approaches to it. What stops us from really being client-centric? I think if you think client-centric is one way, like for me, client-centric is about engagement and you need to have a two-way conversation. So you can't have a client on board and go, great, they're they're signed on now, they're going to be doing this, because they may not. You have to continue to deliver really good content, Mm. really good stories to keep them engaged. I've grown up with the ABC and, and, and just continue to be fascinated by it as an organisation. Uh, it does exist solely for the purpose of the people, right? And, Absolutely. And it's always being challenged on that core mission, if you like. Mm. Um, what I like about the, the concept of your role is that you're, it's very meta. It's telling stories about a storytelling organisation and the, and the story is the people. The people within the ABC yeah, and similarly to the Benevolent Society, super passionate. Right. Really, which, you know, I love. So for me, it was a great fit. So what is it about leaders, and I'm talking C-suite here mm-hmm. and and um, and directors and so on, where this customer centricity, this client centricity can seem like a new thing 
or a challenging thing that we've got to get our head around. Why is that so hard sometimes? I mean, it's kind of obvious when you grow up with the ABC, but you know, when you come from the profit motive, it's, yep. it, you, you get distracted, right? Absolutely, you do. And especially when you have shareholders, which are your other stakeholders. But I think if you stay attuned with your customer and keep them engaged, that will speak to your profit. If you choose not to listen to your or keep your customers client-centric, then you're going to miss a whole heap of information that will help inform your decisions on products, on services, on everything. You know, if you think or you assume you have great customer service or you're delivering what you need to do and then you're done for the day, then you're not learning. Mm. I think we continue to learn. And as I said before, customer-centric isn't just your paying customer. It, it is your stakeholders and your partners and you need to listen to all of them. Yeah. Uh, so, in other words, we exist to serve. We exist to agree, to, to yeah. be there for all of them. Now, have you got a question you'd like me to answer on the show? Just tweet at CMO Show or use the hashtag The CMO Show. I'd love to hear from you. One of the, I think, most significant transformations, if we're to start now thinking about the social sector mm-hmm. and what's been going on there uh, from an NDIS perspective, and, and really the government has completely turned the tables on the way the whole sector mm-hmm. operates, right? Yeah. So the, the client-centric, customer-centric, where 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 clients would come to Benevolent and they get to choose, right? Yeah. So the government gives them the money to then pass on uh, to an organisation like yours. That is, uh, if you think about the 200 plus years of your organisation, that is a that's turning the tables upside down effectively. It's like doing business all over again in a different way. It is. And we're not the only organisation to be going through this transformation. I think within the sector, the government choosing to deliver NDIS packages as well as aged care packages is to give that client-centric view. However, you know, there's a a lot of legislation and I won't go into that right now. And also the value to all Australians, yes. to people that need to receive those packages and need the support. For the Benevolent Society, that's not really changed. We've always done that. It's mm. just the transaction, I guess, the back end of it has changed. So the service that we're delivering to our clients has not changed. It's just the back end, the accounting part has changed. Got it, where the money comes from. Absolutely. So for our frontline, you mentioned them before, we have 1,200 that are delivering services for people with disability, aged care and child and family, they haven't changed their focus because the focus is always the client. What has changed is the back end of it. So how we transact now with the government rather, you know, the customer does have to choose, which is great. So they have choice and control over who, which provider they choose. And we'll get onto the brand part as well. But it's just Mm. for me... If you continue to deliver fantastic service and your brand has that trust and reputation, mm. as has Benevolent mm. Society for 200-odd years, yeah. you can't lose focus on that. To some degree, the for-purpose sector has had to you know, switch up and become quite commercial yep. from a transactional sense, which yep. is great fit for me because I love that part of it and that's why <laughs> I worked at ABC Commercial. Yeah. But it doesn't need to be in a decent profit base. So yeah. what you're doing, obviously, is anything that you earn on top, you reinvest and we reinvest in our best practice, yep. you know, in our governance. We've had three royal commissions, so you have to be on top of all of that. Yeah. And I think you rec- make a really good point about the, if you like, the distinction between management, admin and, and practitioners or, mm. and pe- people who are client living and working with clients, yeah. right? If you've been trained in social work, for example, mm-hmm. your entire universe is only about thinking of them and their needs and, and how I can support that. 
yet still you need to have a, a connection between the two. Oh, yeah. And how have you managed that? Because they still also need to have a, a commercial sense, if you're a frontline worker, a sense yep. of how long I can spend with this person or where the limits are or yep. what my professional responsibilities are. Um, is there a transaction that I've got to consider at some point? How have you thought about that? Again, it comes back down to our clients' stories and how we engage with them. And, you know, it's not to say that our frontline people are the only ones that do engage. You know, we do have back office and mm. community partners that do also engage with our clients. So it's not necessarily a disconnect. There is a connection throughout the organisation. We understand whatever we do within our role within Benevolent Society is that we are supporting people within Australia that need us. We're walking with them to support us. So whether you are in accounts or whether you're in marketing or whether you're in another area within the business, every little piece that you are doing is supporting that client. And if you're in the commercial side of the universe, um, that is actually an enormously profound insight where we've been talking a lot about purpose in Mm. the marketing sector for, well, intensely probably I'd say for the last two years, it's really been a drumbeat in the trade media. And some of the research I've read talks about the limitations of just having a great purpose, but employees don't meaningfully see themselves connected to that. I'm not a contributor, right? I'm in accounts, I'm in, I don't know, the warehouse or something, and I'm not, I'm not actually part of that purpose in a, in a tangible, sort of a believable way. It would seem to me that in the benevolent society, it's possibly a bit easier. We have a lot of passionate people. And the work that we've been working on will probably highlight that more with our brand stories that we're developing on clients as well as staff, you know, and I think that resonates with in the organisation and externally, you know, if you do, like you say, get all emotional over it, (laughs) that, you know, because I think it's about related experience. If you can Mm. relate to a person that has a disability or an ageing parent or, you know, people that are in times of crisis, mm. you know, yeah, the, Australia are very giving people. We always want to support those that haven't had the opportunities that we've had. So mm. I think you'll find it won't be too hard for people to connect to. What would your advice be to a CMO in the corporate space mm-hmm. thinking about that issue? Uh, how do I connect the passion of my people with this purpose? How would you do that? Physically, I would be getting out and talking to clients, talking to staff, getting their stories and listening very Mm. carefully. Mm. It's that partnership that I said, you know, it can be in in different ways. It's not about managing stakeholders per se. It's really understanding what everyone needs within their life and how we can help affect that. From there then, you mentioned client stories a couple of times, uh, and I know that's a, a passion of yours. Tell me about the strategic importance of client stories uh, and why you've got a real focus on that from a brand perspective. Because that is how the Benevolent Society has grown over the 200 years. If it weren't for the two founders, if it weren't for the people at the Rocks that needed that assistance and that support to set up. I must say, um, one thing I do want to focus on, with we will have the brand stories or the client stories and staff stories, is mm. our advocacy piece. Mm. Because the organisation has been quite strong in advocacy over many, many years. Yeah. The organisation were one of the first in the world to have a fixed pension to stop poverty mm. for age ageing people. And also advocating for children and family and changing the system. So this is where your government partnerships and stakeholder and changing those systems is where our organisation has more of a voice as well. So that's probably the big distinction then is the advocacy is about the system, right? Let's change the system 
uh, if you like, preventative measures, if we can, mm. as well as on the ground. Absolutely. With people, right? Yeah. They're the two. Are they the two mainstreams? They are the two mainstreams because, you know, you, if we can see what's happening with people out there and what supports are available. And mm. if the system's not right and the supports aren't there for Australians, then we, someone needs to talk for them on behalf of them. And the Benevolent Society has been advocates for that forever. So what's your storytelling strategy then? I think everyone has a story to tell yeah. and I want to hear everyone's story and everyone has a right to be heard. Yeah. So for me, it, the unscripted brand stories that we're doing right now with staff and with clients are going to build a huge montage of breadth of people and where they have sort of struggled in mm. life yeah. and then how and um, where they were able to get that support that they needed and how they're feeling now. Yep. So it's a real journey and staff included, you know, the staff absolutely there front and centre. So that's why we wanted to do their stories as well. Well, I'm not just asking because I love the subject, which <laughs> I do, but the reason for asking too is what are the stories that work? And I think this is one of the things that we constantly have to evaluate in, in marketing communications is mm. if I think about my government stakeholders, what are the stories that will actually bring a tear to their eyes or convince them that they're spending their money in the right places? And then secondly, with the donors and the, the clients, that's a whole different sort of set of storytelling, right? So, Well, I, I truly believe in any storytelling and has to be very true and authentic. You know, I'm not one for... You know, in my all the marketing that I've ever done, it's not really ever been too showy or false. You mm. know, it always has to be genuine and very authentic. So for me, getting those true stories, that's why I say unscripted yep. because there'll be a couple of points where we can ask a couple of questions. However, it is really their story and them telling it. So the true authenticity of their journey. And for government stakeholders, we can show where we started with, you know, supporting Australians to where they are now. And they're never going to be the best at everything, but they will get to where they want to go. They they have their goals set in mind. You know, people with disability don't choose to have that. And so we help them. We've just finished, we're almost finished editing a story about Darren um, who's a 50-year-old, he was blind at birth and then a couple of years in it was discovered that he also had autism. So he's 50 now and his mum has single-handedly supported him his entire life. Mm. It was only about three or four years ago that Benevolent Society Behavioural Support Team came in and it was of their choice, you know, within the NDIS, NDIS package. And he now, because he was nonverbal, he's now showing cues where he can verbally this is at 50 years. Yeah, it's tell a long he, time. Tell his mum that he loves her, say that he wants to do this or he knows his routine. Like just that small little bit of support has improved his life and his mum's quite dramatically. And I must say we talk about clients but we are very holistic in our approach because mm. it's not, you know, with anyone that is struggling, it's not just yourself. There's a family around you, you know, they're your friends, your support group around you also struggle because it's life. Correct. You know? Correct. So we are there Everything's holistically mm. trying to help. So um, those stories that you're describing really are, if you like, an embodiment of the heart of the brand. It almost seems to be like, from a brand strategy perspective, pretty self-evident. But I, I can't imagine it's that simple when it comes to thinking about stakeholders and where are we going and who are we and you know what should our brand be in the future and all the questions that 
managements, you know, typically have? It has been a bit of a struggle, (laughs) (laughs) to be very honest and truthful. However, it depends on which, you know, who you talk to and which area. Most people are quite, they're very much on where they're at within the organisation. It's a very big organisation. I think for staff, it has been quite difficult to enunciate what we are and who, what do we do because we do so many things for so many people. Mm. So getting down to the real truth of what this organisation is, and that's why we did do a bit of deep diving going back 200 years as to what the original purpose was and the advocacy work and the service work. And to this day in 2021, we are still doing all of that. We are still advocating. So the vision hasn't changed. The purpose hasn't changed. It's just how do, how do you talk it through and articulate that in today's current climate when it is so fragmented and there are different legislations and, you know, there are more people. And competition, quite frankly. Competition, actually, yes. So when the government did split up disability and it used to be managed by state governments and it was split up and all a lot of um, organisations stepped forward and um, picked up different parts of it, it became quite tricky <laughs> to, <laughs> to be say honest, the least, yeah. to say the least, very tricky. And and unfortunately for people with disability, it's been a really hard road to navigate. But I think they're getting to a much better place. It's something that we do within our um, support team, our support centre. Anyone can ring Benevolent Society. Yeah. Any, anyone in Australia can ring them and ask for support, yeah. whether we can deliver it for them or we can put them onto another partner to help them. We will always find help for them. So did that help with the like a unique value proposition? I think so. And another thing we do is also best practice. So we ensure that we train our staff right up to a very high quality and make sure that they are very client-centric, which, you know, all of them are because they are so passionate. But it's making sure that point of difference is, you know, best in market for service delivery. But we also evaluate all of that. We evaluate all of our customer needs and, and the delivery of service. And I got to say, uh, it's been an amazing experience for me to walk uh, as part of that journey, right? <laughs> and I don't want to foreshadow some exciting things to come, but what's your vision for where the benevolent brand needs to be? I think it needs to be more within everyone's eyesight, you know, that top of mind, because it is, it's a big charity that's been around for a long time. People have, may have heard of it, may not have heard of it. So it's come, it's dipped in and out of market for quite a while. So without getting you know, too much out there because we are a not-for-profit and we don't have huge amounts to be able to do mass marketing. Mm. It's more about the niche and telling those stories. That's where the brand stories will help, mm. that word of mouth, because it is authentic. Yep. So I think, you know, the big sell, if you want, will be that we are there for everyone and there to do it their way. Just a couple of things to maybe attempt to tie um, some neat bows around, I think, many, many different strands we could we could pursue. Um, what's your best advice from your experience uh, over the years connecting this sense of identity and, and brand purpose with activities, be it storytelling or advertising or anything? Um, what, what's your best advice for thinking about that? You've, you've talked about client centricity and mm-hmm. you've talked about really understanding the golden thread, but what's your pearl of wisdom in that space? I think for anyone that's starting in marketing or or within a few years and wanting to step through is to really look at the client journey for one one thing, see where they're at because people do change. There is a lot of choice out there. So have a look at what people need 
Is it what your organisation needs to deliver? You know, so it's marrying up. Who are you looking for? Narrowing it down to some degree. Mm. You know, because we can be all things to all people, but what are you really good at? Yep. You know, and how do you talk to them? Is it through storytelling? Is it a different way? You know, it's sort of finding out who your audience is and what you can deliver to them. And then at a personal level, you've come from, well, government and commercial into benevolent and mm. the social sector. Many people dream about that and we've also had other people on the, on the CMO show who <laughs> have <laughs> made that jump. What's your advice for people either thinking about or doing that? I think a lot of the skills that you learn across commercial and not-for-profit are actually interchangeable. I think it's just, again, about working out what it is that you can deliver to them. I think continue to learning, you know, like continue to understand what your client needs if you're your own business or within, you know, a big organisation. And your client could be your CEO, really. Mm. You know, what is it that you're trying to hit for the organisation? But for me, it's always being true to yourself. Lisa, I've loved our conversation. Um, We probably need to do it again sometime. (laughs) Skip forward 12 months and and get the latest on how benevolent is growing and changing. I'm very keen to see how uh, the benevolent story plays out over time. So once again, thank you so much for being our guest today on the CMO Show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lisa. It was so good to speak with her about the way Benevolent Society continues to live out the purpose and vision it set for itself more than 200 years ago. I loved her advice to CMOs and senior executives in the corporate space on how to align their passion with their organization's purpose. That's, of course, uh, a big one for all of us. And I agree with her perspective. Taking a simple approach to talking and listening to the stories of clients and staff presents a really unique opportunity for you to champion their truth and to change the system and to do good through their work. Understanding their perspective and really being able to tell their stories brings a whole new shade and life and energy to your storytelling. So there are lots of really great ideas in there for you to think about and I'd love to know your thoughts. And as a quick reminder, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the CMO Show podcast on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Also, be sure to head over to Instagram and follow at the CMO Show podcast and have a crack at guessing who will be our next guest each fortnight. So thank you for joining us on the CMO Show. As always, it's been great to have you with us. Until next time. CMO Show is brought to you by the team here at Filtered Media. The show is produced by Charlotte Goodwin and Stephanie Wu. It's engineered and edited by Tom Henderson and Daniel Mark.